Welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. I am Doug. I'm a pastor at Faith Lutheran Church. We are based out of Shelton, Washington, and we're a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can learn more about faith at our website, faithshelton.org. Thanks for listening today. I'm recording this podcast for the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, and my sermon title is The Art of Neighboring. It's based on the story of the Good Samaritan found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. In this story, Jesus teaches us how to inherit eternal life and how to be a good neighbor. And it turns out, it's the same thing. So open your Bible to Luke chapter 10 and let's dig in. Now, as I read this story, I want to invite you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine the scene and and consider where do you see yourself in the story? And where do you see Jesus in the story? So a reading from Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law, a lawyer, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. (laughs) But then a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. So, sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I mean, the guy asks the right question, right? What is necessary to inherit eternal life? Lots of people ask this question in all sorts of different forms, right? Uh, What do I need to do to get to heaven? How can I be saved? What does it take to enter the kingdom of God? What's the meaning of life? What rule of life can I adopt that is truly fulfilling, enduring, substantive? How can I live a life that matters? How do we inherit eternal life? Jesus invites the fellow to respond to his own question, and and to his credit, the lawyer quotes the Bible. First, Deuteronomy chapter 6, 5, love God with everything you've got. And then he quotes Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is impressed and gives the man a gold star. But the lawyer is looking for more. But tell me, he asks, exactly who is my neighbor? 
And Jesus responds by telling him a story about a man traveling on a rough stretch of road between Jerusalem and Jericho who fell in with some robbers. They beat him, stripped him, left him half dead. Meanwhile, two church-going people passed by without lifting a finger to help, but a third fellow, a foreigner, a Samaritan, is moved with compassion when he sees this victim, and he tends to the victim's trauma, the wounds, the nakedness, the violence. He helps this stranger onto his own donkey and takes him to an inn, a safe place where he can stay until the wounds heal. The Samaritan even leaves his credit card information and tells the innkeeper to charge any additional expense to him. Now, Jesus says, you tell me, who was acting like a neighbor to the man who had fallen among thieves? And the lawyer shrugs, gives the obvious answer, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus gives him another gold star and tells him to go and do likewise. The end. So again, I ask you, where do you see yourself in this story? Later we'll ask about where you see Jesus, but where do you see yourself in this story? Maybe like the lawyer, you're seeking the meaning of life. But in the story itself, do you, do you identify with the man who fell among robbers? Do you feel exposed, left for dead on the side of the road? Or maybe an honest listening would place, you place yourself as one of the robbers, where you see that in your life, you spend most of your time taking advantage of the marginalized for personal gain. Or maybe you acknowledge that you're probably most like one of the religious people, too busy or too holy or too distracted to care. Maybe, maybe you feel most comfortable in the role of the innkeeper, one who provides safety and refuge for those who need it, but not until it's brought to your front door. And how many of you long, long to be the Good Samaritan? Because you're looking for the courage to do the right thing. Where do you see yourself in this story? And then where do you see Jesus? Now, some people recognize Jesus as the good Samaritan. Jesus, like the Samaritan, sees you when life has left you naked, wounded, broke, and half dead on the side of the road. The promise of the scripture, God so loved the world that God sent his only son to save you, to restore you, to nurse your wounds, to carry you to safety and to rest. And Jesus pays the price, foots the bill. Jesus is not only the way and the truth and the life, but Jesus is also the Good Samaritan. Still others have seen Jesus in the story in the man who had fallen among the robbers, the one to whom the Samaritan shows mercy. He's, after all, who the story is about. The story begins, a man went down. And isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus came down to earth. The word became flesh and made God's dwelling among us. And like Jesus at the crucifixion, this man fell among robbers, just as Jesus was crucified with one thief on his right and one on his left. At the crucifixion, he was stripped and beaten left for dead, while religious leaders did nothing to lend him a hand. And at the crucifixion, the only one to recognize Jesus for who he truly was, the Son of God, was a foreigner 
a Roman soldier guarding the cross. But what good is a Messiah who is beat up and left for dead? Well, that is part of the mystery and promise of the gospel. The promise that Jesus is found in the margins and among the marginalized. That God meets us in our suffering. That when we practice the art of neighboring, when we minister to a person in need, we are ministering to Jesus. And so loving our neighbor is loving God. And if we love God, we are called then to love our neighbor. And that's the meaning of life. That is inheriting eternal life. So I grew up knowing and and embracing the story of the Good Samaritan. It was modeled and taught by my parents and by teachers and seminary professors. Countless scripture passages reinforced this, this ethic of love and compassion for my neighbor. But this lesson finally hit home for me most clearly during my time as a hospice chaplain in the Bitterroot Valley of Montana. Now, maybe you're tired of my hospice stories, but, well, there you go. This comes to mind because last Sunday, Pastor Brenda showed a picture of a fire raging along the Bitterroot River with an elk taking refuge in the middle of the river. The fire took place back in 2000. Well, it was 15 years later that I was visiting a hospice patient less than a mile from where that picture was taken. This man had told me how... uh, proudly how he he had fought that fire, that he had protected his home and his family. But that fight had a cost. After day after day of breathing in that hot smoke, battling the flames, his lungs burned up. And so now, 15 years later, he had advanced COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And each day now, he was losing his ability to breathe. He was fiercely independent. He was a conservative Republican. He despised the government and people on the public dole. And there I was, a liberal chaplain, being paid by Medicare to drive down there once or twice during a month and listen to him rant between his increasingly forced breaths until he died. I think I've mentioned before that hospice chaplain was never on my list of career paths. Even when I was first hired, I saw it as a bridge until I got a real job as a pastor again. Working among those talented nurses, doctors, pharmacists, social workers, and therapists, I I felt out of place, and I would joke about being no earthly good or being just the chaplain. But a funny thing happened along the way. As the weeks turned into months, that turned into years, I I never got that real job. (laughs) But I came to appreciate that I had a real job and a role, a key role as hospice chaplain. It turned out that I could be a lot of earthly good. And the story of the Good Samaritan became a template for my work as a chaplain, as well as my life as a father, son, husband, citizen, and pastor. In particular, I learned about margins, I learned about compassion, and I learned about boundaries. Margins are a good thing. Margin is the open space on the edge of a page. Margins are unhurried, unbusy time. 
as a chaplain, I couldn't do the clinical stuff of hospice care. And honestly, I was okay with not being responsible for cleaning a wound or inserting a catheter. catheter. But because I couldn't do that stuff, it meant that I wasn't nearly as busy as my colleagues. And that was by, by design. I worked hard, but most of my work was actually just to be available to coworkers, to patients, and to their families. My job was to be a non-anxious presence. My job was to not be busy. My job was to have time to notice, to listen, to help. My job was to live in the margins, which put me among the marginalized, including the grumpy old man with COPD, the grieving adult caregiver, and the nurse with marriage issues. The opposite of a life with margins is busyness. And the truth is that busyness is an excuse not to care, not to get involved, not to engage with the here and now. Kind of like the two church people in the story who just walked past without lifting a finger. They were just too busy. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm late, I don't have time. That's someone else's problem. I don't want to get involved. I'm not saying that we shouldn't work hard. And certainly in my own life, there are seasons when I have a full plate. I have lots on my to-do list. But hospice taught me to take the phrase too busy out of my vocabulary. I am never too busy. I always have time. Now, I don't have all day. I'm not wired like that. But I have time. And I make an effort. I make a discipline of preserving the margins. Because the Good Samaritan is not too busy to help Jesus. Jesus lives in the margins, among the marginalized. I also officiated a lot of uh, funerals during those eight years as a hospice chaplain. My friend Tom, the local funeral director, would often call on me when there was a funeral in need of a pastor. He knew I needed the extra cash. He knew I didn't give long funeral sermons. And he knew that I would treat the family with compassion. The Greek word for compassion is splagkidzomai, splagkidzomai, which literally moves, means a movement in your gut, gut-wrenching, heartbreaking. Oh, sweetie, this is compassion. This is a feeling that motivates, compels action for a neighbor in need. It's a defining characteristic of God, God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in mercy and steadfast love. Compassion is a gift and a mark of the Holy Spirit in the Christian. The thing is, I I really don't consider myself as someone who is naturally compassionate. But as I spend time in the margins... I've learned and the discipline, really, of beginning to see people as they are. Beautiful, broken children of God. Christ in the eyes of everyone who sees me, the prayer of St. Patrick goes. Christ in the ears of everyone who hears me. Compassion. Hospice and funerals taught me compassion. And without compassion, people are a means to an end. Without compassion, we judge and blame and dehumanize those who are created in God's image, who in that moment are Christ to us. It is compassion that moves Christ 
to save us. And it's compassion that moves the Samaritan to help Jesus on the side of the road. So what margins and compassion. The last thing I want to talk about, boundaries. Hospice workers are absolutely amazing. They are amazing. They serve people and their families at a precious and holy time, the end of life. And the greatest threat to the health and well-being of every hospice worker is compassion fatigue or overfunctioning. And the only protection from these is to have good boundaries, to know where they end and where the patient begins. And again, the story of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan shows compassion, but the, the Samaritan also exercises clean boundaries, right? The Samaritan sees the man on the side of the road, feels compassion, and acts to help him, bandages his wounds, covers his nakedness, carries him to safety, even covers the expense for a couple days. But the Samaritan also leaves, right? <laughs> she does what she can. She saves his life even, But then she hands responsibility for the man over to the next person and continues on her way. Hospice taught me that I can't fix everything, that in fact there's very little that I can fix or control, and in fact the more I try, the worse it gets. Nothing is more useless than a hospice chaplain with an agenda. Someone once said that Jesus was the only person in human history not to suffer from a Messiah complex. A good Samaritan, a good Christian, has boundaries. I used to train hospice volunteers about boundaries. Here are some of the you-might-be-over-functioning-if questions. You might be over-functioning if you become resentful toward the person you're trying to help. You might be overfunctioning if you start losing sleep or losing weight or drinking more over other people's problems. You might be overfunctioning if you feel like your neighbor is your responsibility. You might be overfunctioning if you spend more time, energy, effort, and worry on your neighbor's plight than they do. You might be overfunctioning if you feel like you can't say no. By the time I met that old man with COPD, the compassion and character of God had begun to take root in my life. And so on that day, I had all the time I needed to be fully present to that man. I didn't resent him or judge him. I saw Christ in him. I saw Christ in his passion to preserve his land, his family, his nation. I didn't need him to see the relative irony of the situation. I didn't try to fix him. We talked. I listened. I reviewed his medications with him. I acknowledged the presence of God in his house, the beauty of creation, and I prayed with him. Then I went back to the office and collaborated with Audrey, his nurse, so that she knew about his concerns and questions. It was a small but profound object lesson in the art of neighboring. Four takeaways. Jesus is the Good Samaritan, no matter where you are or what you've been through. Today, once again, he has found you. He has compassion for you and offers you healing, salvation, and rest. Number two, Jesus is your neighbor. Learn to see Christ in everyone you meet. Number three, the three lessons learned as a hospice chaplain. 
The first about creating margins in your life. That's Sabbath keeping, quiet time at the beginning of the day, holy spaces. Strike the phrase too busy from your vocabulary. Second, foster compassion. Again, seeing Christ in every person that you meet. Recognizing God in the margins and among the marginalized. And the third, setting boundaries. Remembering that Jesus is our Messiah and you're not. And fourth, finally, as you practice the art of neighboring, may you come to know and experience the compassion of God one day, one person at a time. For this is life that is enduring, meaningful, and maybe even eternal. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening. Go to our website, faithshelton.org. Like us, subscribe, donate, sign up for the newsletter. Chaz produces this podcast every week. Nadia is managing our website and YouTube channel. Thanks, guys, for all your help. And thank you, people of faith, for your compassion, your companionship, your faithfulness to the gospel. May God bless and keep you. May God's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.